What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Microcast. As usual, this episode is hosted by me, TJ David, and Zoe Rome. On this week's episode, we're going to cover 11 guiding principles for athletes who want to pursue their potential. But first, we are going to get warmed up with uh, a list of real foods and decide if they're hot or not on race day. I'm also just going to give a blanket statement that you shouldn't try anything for the first time on race day. That's a not hot rookie move from Uh, the jump. That is a rookie move. Um, So... (laughs) Just, you know, these are all things. Actually, I don't even know if you want to try them. Some of these things I'm just going to go ahead and say, not hot. Don't don't need to try them. Great in a fruit salad. Great as an hors d'oeuvre, but not great as a performance fuel. Um, starting off, watermelon. I'm not hot on watermelon. Not hot, man. It's... This is great in a fruit salad. Not great on race day. Why do they even put it out at aid stations? I assumed it was a psyop to convince people that fructose is a superior fuel source. I feel like that and orange slices are like remnants of, I don't know, like middle school soccer or something. Yeah. It's just, there's nothing in there that's going to help you get to the finish line. Absolutely not. I always see people going for that, which (laughs) blows my mind because there's gummy bears right there. Or there's like actually like things that have fuel like readily available carbohydrates in them and then i've just never once been exercising and been like you know what i really need more acid in my stomach right now oh or more water without sodium oh my god give me that sodium give me that water give me that fiber blow me up scotty um Uh, well we already covered orange slices i'm a no i'm a not hot on orange slices yeah anything that your mom would bring to soccer practice in 2001 i'm out oh we should have totally included bananas on this bananas i know like that's something they always give away like the finish line of races and i'm i'm a no to that also right you know i want a taco i want an ice cream sundae fuck the banana all right well what about potatoes I'm pretty hot on potatoes. Again, that's like a readily available carbohydrate. You can salt it. Um, It's it's got like a pretty neutral flavor profile. Uh, I think it's a great endurance fuel. Yeah. Potatoes, mashed, fries, whatever. Yeah. Boil them. Boil them. Stick them in a stew. How about Cliff Bars? Not hot. (laughs) That's so dry. This is just like my like nightmare. This is my like nightmare blunt rotation for snacks. Um, yeah, I can't even imagine eating a Cliff Bar while jogging. <laughs> Jesus Christ, can't do it. Okay, what about avocados? Haven't you heard of athletes like eating avocado One, toast? Not avocado toast. We had an athlete that wanted to eat like an avocado because they were like Whoa. very into the like, in heavy quotation marks here, whole foods sort of deal. Um, that is I'm going to tell food. you, it is an entire food, but dear God, is that going to rock your world that's a lot of fat yeah it's a lot of fat and some fiber i'm out i'm out on the avocado fig newtons nope i'm out you had a uh i had a a strong legendary quote legendary quote last um week's episode it's been hotly debated in the microcosm slack the people have come out in favor of the pop tart pop tart fans have spoken they have overruled the like two to three Fig Newton fans, hashtag Fig fans, sound off in the comments <laughs> section. Um, that's not a good cookie. That is a bad cookie. Oh, they're so dry. They're so dry. But I will tell you, those people who love Fig Newtons, they love Fig Newtons. Ugh. 
And I, you know, my sports dietitian, she recommended that I try Fig Newtons. They weren't for me. I gave them, I tried them. I was able to get about seven, eight of them down on the treadmill. And then after that, I was like, these you know, are At the end of great. the day, like whatever flips your nutritional skirt is fine by me, but I would just enjoy, I would invite everyone to join me and the Pop-Tart Mafia in having fun in loving ourselves and eating abundant carbohydrates. Pop, Fig Newtons and Pop-Tarts are both uh, rich in carbohydrates. Yeah, I know, but but Pop-Tarts are just better. They're just better. They have icing. They're better in I, every way. I will say this. I was training. Uh, I got off the treadmill. Yeah. And I went and ran on the trails. Yeah. And Pop-Tarts are extremely difficult to keep from crumbling and just yeah. exploding everywhere so, while you're running. Do you know the story about why the graham cracker was invented? No. It was invented by like in the 1800s by like the, the guy who did like the post cereal company and he invented it because he believed like as like a very like sort of um conservative gentleman that America needed snacks that would prevent people from getting horny and that would quash feelings of passion and desire. And that is why the graham cracker was invented. And I believe the fig Newton is onto something there as well. Because nothing <laughs> robs my body and my brain of any kind of desire, joy, intention towards human connection, quite like a fig Newton. How does your body respond to the quesadilla? Love a quesadilla. Mid-race quesadilla? Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But post-race quesadilla. All in, baby. All in. Okay. That's a good food. That's like a food that like, I feel like for every Fig Newton you have in life, you need to counter it with at least twice as many quesadillas. <laughs> and, and what about, what about pizza? Mid-race? Um, I'm out on that. That's, that's a lot. There's a lot going on there. Um, but I, I do believe pizza is the most perfect food ever invented. But not the most perfect performance food. No. Yeah, I'm a no on that. Although I do remember at Run Rabbit, someone had like taken a bat, like one of the uni pizza ovens out to the Continental Divide and they were slinging pizza. And I, I did grab a very small slice. Very small. Very small. Like a little, like a tapas slice. Yeah. Well, a little bit of fat, a little bit of protein, you know, maybe every four or six hours or something in a yeah. long event can be helpful, but we're not talking about a quesadilla at every aid station. No, pizza that's, that's, every, every, that's every troubling. Yeah. yeah. That's a GI disaster. That's a GI disaster. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, good frat party food, but maybe not ideal performance. Lastly, what do you think about the chip? Hot I love not? the chip. I'm all in on the chip. It's salty. It's crunchy. Um, it's got a little bit of fat. It's got a good bit of carb. I like the chip. Are you all in on the Oreo? I do like an Oreo. Um, I sometimes can struggle to eat them during races. Dry. Dry. It's pretty dry. Goes into the dry category. Exactly. And then it, you're sort of in the position of like, like, you know how um, at like fancy wineries they'll do pairings. I have struggled to find the correct hydration mix to pair with the Oreo <laughs> so that I don't asphyxiate while running. You know what um, isn't dry? What? Morton gels. Oh, I dude, I can't. Oh, I it tastes like something you would use to clean your shower. I I it do not like, like. I no, it tastes it tastes like the idea of a donut. It tastes like the ghost of a donut. It tastes like when you wake up in the morning and you're alone in bed, but there's like a shallow impression of someone who used to love you who left. 
that's the that's the like empty space that Morton leaves behind in my palette. <laughs> that's disappointing because it's one of the best endurance fuels that I've Yeah, tried. but you don't like savor it. Hell no. You're like, out there to we race. Went... You're not out there to enjoy your food. <laughs> but, You're but out there, there to race. But there are some, right, right. But like I take in a bunch of different cola flavored things and I'm like, oh yeah, this is fine. You know? Those cola goos do not taste like Coca-Cola. They, 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 they taste cola adjacent. That's like the ghost of Coca-Cola. Yeah. Well, so like I had the a, shadow self of I was Coca-Cola. really, it was, the, it is the shadow <laughs> self of Coca-Cola. I had a diet Dr. Pepper yesterday, which is the most cursed beverage I've ever had. Oh. Um, and they taste better than that. Okay. Well, you've heard it here. Yeah. Basically, uh, I know, I know the potatoes, people, yeah. Pop tarts and uh, chips. Yeah. <laughs> people come to this podcast for exactly nine minutes worth of superficial food takes, and we delivered. And for you Fig Newton fans out there, we love and accept you. Yeah. Get figged. That's <laughs> all I have to say. All right. All right. Let's get into Pop Tart our... Mafia. Rise up in the comments. <laughs> You know who you are. Listen, we will have a debate on what flavor of Pop Tart is the best. I feel like we should do a we should do a March Madness bracket for Pop Tart flavors. Is it cherry or blueberry? No. Is it strawberry? Mm. I really like the really absurd like white trash flavors like Sunday s'mores or like uh, Kylie turned me on to the chocolate chip pancake. Okay, that one is terrible. It I is love so that dry. One. You oh could God, never eat so that good. in a hot race. They're all the same amount of dry. There's not like a moist tart. Yes, of course, the jelly-like filling. They that all is, have the same... That's what does it. They're they're just like us. They're all, all the same on the inside. No, 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 no. No way. You think that the cherry Pop-Tart is additionally moist? I think the fruit-flavored Pop-Tarts are more palatable because they you've, are more moist you've sampled all the pop tarts you've sampled many you're I've a connoisseur a lot of treadmill runs. you are a pop tart sommelier yes and you're here on the podcast claiming the fruit ones best have a moister mouthfeel they are the best they have a better mouthfeel fascinating not quite as good as spindrift during a race well, but we're getting yeah close. well that's actual liquid and the pop tart <laughs> is a it's a tart they're all very dry they are so dry, which is again why I ask: Why do we have to eat real foods in order to perform well? Uh, you know, it's it's yeah, so I think it's you know just to drop into coaching mode a little bit. I think it's great for athletes to um, I always call it expanding the bullseye of what your gut can tolerate because no matter like especially if you are like, well, wow, I've never had a GI issue. I can eat whatever I want while running. There will come a day where that will not be the case. And it's always great to know what kind of things you can reach for, um, especially for longer events, like your stomach can go, maybe gels aren't sitting very well anymore, especially during hundred mile races or races that last longer than like eight, nine hours, getting some things in that have a little more sustenance and then have a slightly higher, but still not very high um, amount of protein and car or protein and fat can be helpful. Yeah. Well, you know, no need for real foods if you just. Have I tried to eat a picky bar. The only like real food that no, I really it's tried too to dry. eat, I couldn't do it. Also, I, this is wild, but like my teeth started to hurt so bad during that race from all the sugar I had consumed that I couldn't bite down on anything. You get lockjaw from eating something like that. I thought I was gonna. I, I just couldn't. Like it physically hurt my teeth, so I spit it out on the trail. Man. It was no good. No good. No good. Mashed potatoes. 
Yeah. That's as close to a real food gel substitute as you can find. Like yeah. a really creamy a mashed, mashed potato. potato. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's get into our principles. We've got 11 principles for athletes who want to pursue their potential. So Coach CJ, how did you start to think about, and we sort of developed these together, but you really brought the heat with some of your principles. And I'm curious where you, where these came from. Like you didn't just pull them out of thin air. How did you think about developing these 11 principles? Well, first of all, I was thinking like, well, I think we need to have something where each principle builds on the principles that come before it. Mm -hmm. So this is like a combination of building self-awareness, which is integral in the process of becoming a athlete who's capable of pushing their potential and pursuing it. But also, you know, we need to consider what are the fundamentals that athletes kind of like have to nail and check the box uh, each day. What are the things that they need to focus on to help avoid the pitfalls in the mm. process of like, you know, for example, like if I'm racing my workouts, you know, that's mm. a surefire way to injury or burnout or some kind of not progressing. Yeah. Not progressing. So like there's certain things in here that, you know, are helpful for athletes who are like, use this, use these as guiding principles, you know, mm. that are going to help you to stay on the right side of mm. your training and ultimately this lends to more consistency and more progress over time. Cool. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. yeah. I feel like for me, this is just a really nice sort of zoomed out way to present some, um, a, a few different frameworks for athletes to experiment yeah. with in their lives. Let's start with the first one. Know your why. So why is this important? Well, this is the foundation, I think, for everything when it comes to being an athlete. If you why? don't understand what you are doing, why you're doing it, what your purpose is. Um, it's very difficult to sustain anything long-term. Yeah. Um, particularly, like, we can look at this through the lens of endurance sports and running in particular. Like, it's not always fun to go out and run. So some days feel better than others. Like, getting good at running takes, you know, a really long time. And so if you're not clear on why you're doing it, it's going to be, it's going to be really easy for you yeah. to not get out the door on the days where you need to get out the door. Like this is the bedrock of everything. Like mm. if you don't know why you're out there doing it, you're like a ship lost at sea. Mm. Like what's the point? I would also say it is okay to have periods where your why shifts or maybe where you don't feel as in touch with the why, you know, I feel like that is normal as well. Um, you don't always have to wake up every day and be like, oh, I cannot wait to connect with my community. Let's freaking go. Um, that's not how I feel. And I still manage to get the work done. But I feel that knowing the why becomes increasingly important when you need to draw on it during hard times, right? Like maybe that's during the tough times during a race. Maybe that's when you are really struggling to self-motivate and the why can step in and be that sort of inertia that propels you um, along your vision. Yeah. And, and, to, and like your why can be very broad, right? Like you can have some part of your why can be like engaging with the community. Another part of your why can be like, I like doing hard things. So, and it can be, and it can be on a spectrum of all of those things. Um, so ideally over time, your why expands and you don't have such a narrow view of who you are, because that's when, when your self-concept becomes really narrow, that's when you can have trouble when you lose right. motivation and everything. So What's this your... is, you develop this over time. You yeah. Know? How do you develop your why? 
Um, I think you develop your why by uh, a few different things. One, I think it all kind of roots from mindfulness, at least for me, on um, being aware of who you are, what your values are, um, what you what your likes and dislikes are, um, what your interests are. That's that's where it comes from. You know what your purpose is. For me, I really like to reflect on when I feel motivated by what I'm doing and when I feel very connected to it. And then I notice when I don't feel connected to it, when I feel out of step with what I'm doing or when I feel demotivated. And I use that as neutral information to help me move closer to my why. Well, don't spoil our later on principles. With those, I'm not that, just telling that people that how to get to the thinking. why. Um, <laughs> also, your why doesn't have to be a big fancy thing. It doesn't yeah. have to be because you want to save the world or do. it doesn't have to be anything... It, it, I think that, you know, a big thing I see with athletes is they should themselves with the why um, rather than being genuinely curious about what actually authentically motivates them. Right. Like they often create a why a bit more based on what other what they think other people will think is cool and interesting. Right. And there's a lot of judgment rooted in that. So when you are creating your why, you know, nothing's off limits. Nothing. Yeah. The next level. Be clear about your long-term vision. What do you want to achieve as an athlete? Who do you need to become in order to achieve those things? This is so important. So this is a chunky one. Um, how do you clarify your long-term vision? And what is a long-term vision? Like, what does that actually mean? I think a long-term vision is probably a three to five-year vision mm. for yourself as an athlete. Looking out into the future, forgetting about how do I accomplish these things? Forgetting about, I don't know, you know, if I'm capable or not trying to put those things aside and kind of navigate around them and create a very idealized version of yourself and what you want to achieve and who you want to become ultimately as a person. I like for my athletes to look at this from a really holistic perspective first, like you know, the goals are an easy vehicle into your vision because it's like in three years, I want to be able to run a hundred, you know, mm. like some, some, that stuff is like pretty prevalent um, out there. But at the same time, you know, I think the more important questions it's like for athletes is like, who do you, who do you want? Oh, I want to be really healthy or I want to, I want to be really fit. I want to be able to uh, adventure when uh, the time is right and I don't want to be sidelined by injury. Like I want to always be ready to be my best or, um, you know, I want to be able to in three years be pushing the podium or whatever, you know? So it's, it's about like zooming out mm -hmm. really far into the future and starting to determine what are some of those bigger things that you're after. Right. And building an identity around that. The second piece to that is asking yourself, who do I have to become to achieve this? Because when you have an aspirational goal, it's going to ask of you to transform in some mm -hmm. fundamental way in order to achieve that. Because if it wasn't, it wouldn't be a big vision. Like it wouldn't be big. It wouldn't be big right. at all. Likely you'd be able to accomplish that thing now. So if you could stay the same person, you need to dream, you need to vision bigger. Yeah. A lot bigger. Um, and get scared about mm. your vision. Like it should be something that is kind of like, Oh my God, okay. you know, like, can I really do that? Yeah. I want to pick at this one a little bit more and see if we can make it more specific. Do you feel comfortable sharing what your long-term vision is? In what area? I have whatever area <laughs> you want to, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. 
Sure. Um, well, when I talk about vision, I put it in a first person perspective. Right. So, well, this is your vision. So that makes sense. It'd right. be very weird if you were like, well, TJ dreams. No, it's actually a lot of people put it in. Um, they don't put it in the present tense. That's what I mean. Mm. I mean, put it in the present tense when you're creating the vision, okay. like try to live into this is me now. Mm. Uh, for example, um, I'm running two to three of the most competitive races every year, and I'm pushing for the podium in those events. I'm training from a very healthy place, mentally and physically, pursuing a harmonious balance between my work and my athletic lives. Um, I'm also going to two to three really big races in support of my athletes or in support of you, Zoe, to help you help other people become, you know, accomplish their visions. And, you know, throughout that process, I'm becoming a thought leader in what I do as a coach and as an athlete. And I'm on, you know, the most popular podcasts and I'm on panels and I'm writing a book and whatever. And the list mm -hmm. just goes on and on and on. Um, and it's like super idealized. Like, oh, I don't know how to, I'm going to do half of those things. Like Fucking anyone can write a book. It's so you know, whatever. Um, who do you need to become to achieve that? Well, so like looking at your, like, again, you know, using yourself as an example, what do these sort of identity shifts look like for you? Sure. So I need to have less focus on what other people think of me. I need to, yeah, I like, I need to be more in alignment with my values rather mm. than being in control, being Shooting at the mercy <laughs> of other people's thoughts and what I think is going on with them. Um, I need to be more vulnerable mm. in my ability to put my thoughts and ideas out there. Um, those are just two things, you know, those are kind of, you know, I, I think other things, you know, when, when you create the vision and you understand that there's a way of being attached to that, the who do I want to become? Who do I need to become to accomplish this thing? Um, you know, there's something you need to focus on. My focus is growth. The, you have to have a quality of being or like a feeling that right. is associated with that. Mine is alignment. That's where my mind and my body act as one. And the most obvious example I have of that in my life is like when I'm in a really great coaching session or a really great race, uh, where I feel just totally present. Um, and then you need to also have your beliefs or your thoughts that are, in alignment with that. And this is where a lot of people get stuck when they're thinking about vision. Hmm. Um, Why do they get stuck? Because they have, because their thoughts don't support where they need to go. I couldn't possibly accomplish this, or I don't know enough, or I'm not good enough to pursue this or, you know, any of those thoughts. So you, what you need to do is you need to reconstruct those thoughts in a way that supports where you want to go. I am capable of this or, I can learn all that I need to learn in the time that it's going to take me to achieve this vision, or I am capable of more than I believe, whatever, you know, you reconstruct your thoughts to support that. And anytime you have a thought that does not, you know, we're getting kind of a little too much into the how I want to stick to the vision, but I think it's important for it to be specific, right? Like specifics are good. These just, principles only work if people really understand how to apply them. Well, work with me one-on-one -on -one and I'm going to teach you that. <laughs> right. But you know, I mean, people don't listen to the podcast just to hear. I don't want to give hey, it all. Sorry. I don't want to <laughs> give it all away. Um, but I will say that when you're creating your vision, 
do not get stuck in thinking small. Mm. Think as big as you can. The more outlandish, the more idealized, the scarier it is, the better. Um, it's really easy to get stuck in the how. I don't know who I need to be yet to figure this out. Or I don't know how I'm going to figure this out. I'm not competent enough. I don't have that degree or I don't have that experience to get to where I want to go. Forget about all of that for a while. That, that's what you know. the coaching or mentorship or figuring out a plan later is about. You coach to the middle later to develop that plan and the competence over time to achieve what you want to achieve. You have to start with the vision. You make it as clear as possible. Okay, so I said two to three big races a year. Great. What races are those? I want to run UTMB. I want to run Western States. And I want to run Hard Rock 100 every year. Okay, cool. That's crazy. Why would you want to do 300s in a year? Well, that goes back to my why mm. and my values. And that's actually not necessarily my vision, but right. it was just an example yeah, of, of like a really crazy vision. Um, some, you know, some people have that. But, Courtney. Right, exactly. And I can tell you, she's not thinking small when she develops her vision for herself as an athlete. It's the same thing. Like, you don't, like Olympians don't somehow be involved in training and then one day be like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do the Olympics next week. Mm -hmm. You know, they start with the vision of, and the dream of I'm going to the Olympics. And then they work for 20, you know, 10, 20 years or whatever to develop the competence to do that. So it's like reversing the process. Mm -hmm. If you don't know where you want to go, what it, what are your thoughts, words, habits, routines? What are they in service of? Nothing. Likely they're in service of what other people are doing out there in the world because right. you're not in alignment with who you are fundamentally. Um, so that's the purpose of the vision, to have something that you can align your thoughts, words, and actions to every day. It's like having a North Star. Mm -hmm. Like there's That's where I'm going. Right. I think what's important about this next principle the commitment to excellence is that it rests on both of those first two principles. Mm. You have to know why you're doing this. You have to know what, right. you're, what, what you're doing is in service of. What is that greater vision? Right. Like it's very hard to be excellent, like in a vacuum for no reason. Right. right? Exactly. You have to know what you're committed to. And at the end of the day, you have a vision, right? You know your why. The only certainty that you have is your commitment to pursuing that at the highest level you mm -hmm. possibly can. That's all you get. Your vision is never going to be certain. Nothing in life is certain. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what you're going to say next. Uh, but all I can say is I'm, you know, what I'm committed to. I'm committed to these thoughts, words, and actions. I'm committed to pursuit of excellence, discipline. And motivation somewhere in there. Maybe those are things that now I don't need to rely on because I'm actually committed to other things. So talk to me about commitment and our third principle. Yeah. So this one is really meaningful to me because I feel that one of the things that really separates great athletes from just okay athletes is the reliance on motivation or discipline. Um, whenever I hear an athlete say things like, I just need to be more disciplined or like, I wasn't feeling motivated. I, 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 I feel that those are rookie, um, crutches, frankly, um, a commitment to excellence means like I wake up every day and regardless of how I'm feeling, I'm going to 
try, right? And does that mean I go at 110% every day? No, it does not. Resting intentionally can also be part, is necessarily a part of committing to excellence. Um, And so I think that, you know, whatever, if you're just like waiting to like wake up and feel out of nowhere, like, aha, I feel very inspired to be excellent today, or I feel inspired to get the training done today. Well, great for that day. But what about all the other days? You got to show up every fucking day. I agree. A hundred percent. And I I think you laid that out really well. You know, commitment, when you really do commit to excellence, you're committing to the thoughts, words, and actions that you need to be in alignment with each day in order to achieve what you want to achieve. And that totally circumnavigates this over-reliance on being disciplined and being motivated. Totally. I feel that discipline and motivation are temporary supports that folks can use until they get their systems in order. But unless you have, like, if you feel every day that you need to be disciplined to get things done, your systems are failing. You need to streamline your systems and you need to realign your way of being so it doesn't feel like you're white knuckling your way through life and training. Like, if it feels like every day you have to wake up and, like, exercise tremendous discipline to do the basics of training, to do the basics of your commitment to excellence, I think that you need more supportive systems. So that might mean rethinking what time of day you run where you run, um, who you're running with, find ways to minimize your reliance on discipline, your reliance on motivation, because those things will fail you. But your commitment is a decision. It is not a feeling and it will not fail you. So let's tie that into our fourth principle here, because as we're kind of going up the pyramid, um, again, I think goals are really appropriate to insert in here Mm. because athletes who are over-reliant on discipline and motivation, often they're not setting goals that are really appropriate for them. And and then because of those goals, right? Like the goal is probably too much of a leap. Right. Um, They don't quite have the competence or the experience yet to pursue the goal. And so they feel a disalignment between their way of being and what the goal is asking them to do in order to be prepared so then the plan isn't purposeful enough. And so you, the key here, the key principle is you need to select goals that are a not a direct match for your current skills, but are a logical step, not a leap. Yeah, I feel like it should be a stepping stone towards your vision. Um, Big mistakes I see athletes making is they think putting a goal on the schedule is going to change who they are and how they show up in the world. And that has just never once worked. If you are inconsistent and you try to plop a 50K on the calendar to inspire you to get more consistent, you're setting yourself up for failure, stress, and and, and burnout and injury, frankly. Um, So I think a much better way to think about this is like, goals are set from a place of where you are are of, or like maybe one or two steps in front of where you currently are. Vision is way down the road and a goal can be a bridge to help you get there, but it should not be like 50, you know, it shouldn't be really far away. It should not, it should be reflective of who you currently are and it should not be hyper aspirational. That's right. Because it takes time to shift your way of being and to work into who you need to become. These that, a transformation takes time. So if you, if you try to rush that process, it can, it can feel really unnatural and a lot of athletes in in doing so end up burned out. Even if they achieve that goal, 
in my coaching experience, those athletes have a really tough time after the race pursuing anything else after. And then that is not a service to the, to the greater vision. Yeah. Set goals from who you are today and your vision can reflect that future self that you want to work towards. So our fifth principle, focus on the basics. I think this is the perfect opportunity to insert that because we have our goal. We understand who we are working to become. We understand that we're committed to the thoughts, the words, the actions, the habits. We're committed to excellence in that way. We know what we're in, what this is all in service of in our why, but you know, then there's all this stuff out there. It's just like, oh yeah, this quick hack or this quick fix. Um, but what are like maybe two or three basics that athletes should really be focused on rather than trying to kind of like shortcut their way to where they want to go? Consistency, uh, mental and physical health recovery would be the big ones for me. Yeah, I think so too. Absolutely. Like, you know, trying to be excessively fat adapted or trying to like do whatever like weird Elon Musk Twitter bro thing is trending recently. Or like your, your friend from the run club read a survey about how eating nothing but, or read a study about how eating nothing but bananas can help you build your VO two max. No, (laughs) like none of that. You don't need any of that. Right. Or like, uh, really like, uh, challenging, weird strength training routines. Yeah. Like, like out Oh, there I gotta, I gotta lift super duper heavy out of nowhere. You know? Yeah. I feel like I the, gotta I, drink like <laughs> whatever water my chiropractor is selling. I feel like there's so much, but athletes really, again, it's like do the work each day, get good sleep, focus on your nutrition. I mean, if you can just nail those three yeah. things, you're, you're on the right totally. track. And I often see the athletes that are the most confident in their, in the work they're doing and they're confident in their vision. Those are the people less likely to fall for hacks. The people who I see that are the most prey to some of the stupidest shit out there are the people who um, might become disconnected from their why they're, they're putting goals that are like way too far down uh, too far down the road that are way too aspirational. They are losing confidence. They, they aren't they're They're, they're not connected to the work in a way that inspires confidence and self-beliefs. So they have to rely on silly hacks. Right. And just to, um, I hate the, the use of confidence, but they're, they lose trust trust in themselves because I they're not that, doing I that think the work. workouts can be a way of building confidence. They sure. def- that is true for me. Well, that, you know, it's really trust because confidence is a feeling. Trust is like, oh, I know what to do because I've done that work. Mm-hmm. So I, I always like to differentiate between those two things. It's like, oh, hell yeah. If I've got confidence right now, I'm going to freaking use that. Definitely. But I can tell you what, like I've been doing this for 10 years and I don't always feel confident. Yeah. I I don't think anyone, if anyone says they always feel confident, they're either missing a a vital part of their brain or they're lying. They're hacking. And, but I think it is an okay thing to feel and to notice when you feel it. That is good information. Yeah. And if you've got it, use it. All right. Let's, let's get into some of the guiding principles here around like executing in your training. Easy days, easy. Hard days hard, and they're hard on purpose. Yeah, I love this. Um, it reminds me of Kipchoge because I was reading uh, something that he, he, an interview that he had done a couple years back, and he had mentioned that he never exceeds more than like 80 or 90% of his capability on his hard days, on yeah. his workouts. And I was like, you know what? That's sustainability. 
Yeah. Because if you go a hundred percent on every workout, what's going to inevitably happen? The effort level. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Um, you're not looking out, you're not zooming out to the future. You're being very myopic in that approach way too zoomed in. Um, and it almost kind of gets into that thing of like, I'm racing these workouts or I have to prove to yeah. myself. Um, but keep it to the basics. Like yeah. easy days are supposed to be easy. Like there's some fundamental things we know in a, you know, endurance sports, running, schema, whatever it is, triathlon. Like yeah. there's not a lot of information about how to get better. There are so many different, there's so much minutia around like this intervention or this intervention. But what we know by looking at the meta analysis is like, if you do decades of it, by the way, right. Easy days, easy and hard days, hard. You're going to get better over time. Yeah. I think the biggest mistake I see sort of newer and new new intermediate runners make or runners who feel like they're stagnating or uh plateauing is they're doing their hard days too easy and their easy days too hard um it's very hard to go too easy on your easy days oh my gosh and i you know i've really gotten into the habit with a lot of my athletes of um prescribing like forever effort miles yeah just for the the sole purpose of trying to get people to go easier on those easy days because it's so easy to um be at like the top of zone two yeah all the time on those easy efforts and then you're you know the impact forces are more substantial and right i think like sometimes people think like again like all of the like it's these things are always shifting targets like your zones are not like set in stone the day you're born and like if you creep out of zone two you know a a dragon's not going to swoop down out of the sky and take you away you're not going to get zapped on the spot by lord zeus um so like if you go a little hard that's good information for you to use to recalibrate your effort level in a more honest way so something that we've been thinking and talking a lot about is the seventh principle that we have here around having shifting our focus from proving to improving. Talk to me about the importance. Yeah. I think so often people see things, I mean, like anything, like there is nothing you are doing right now that should be primarily about proving, right? You're not audition. Like even when, like even I, as a performer, like when uh, this is a big conversation we had in our household and I was working on the pilot season of this TV show, I was driving myself crazy and not doing a very good job. Cause I felt like I had to prove myself on every single episode and I ended up coming off like really crazy and stiff and unlikable and shifting my focus to like, you know what? Um, I'm actually just going to use each episode as an opportunity to improve my performance. Like mm. screw the outcome. I've just got to be focused on what I'm doing today. And lo and behold, as soon as I committed to doing that, we got renewed for a second season when I was originally told that I should be not counting on that. Well, let me just say awesome job. Reconstructing your thoughts and beliefs around proving versus improving and the shift to the growth mindset, uh, because that is hugely powerful. Because when you're in a state of proving, you are automatically coming from a place of, I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. I lack something. Proving means you lack something. So when you shift to improving, 
that is the exact opposite mentality. You're now coming from that place of abundance or a more infinite part of who you're, you are. Um, you're free to perform yeah. is, the, is the way I think of it. You're not shackled by the burden of proof. You're free to perform. So this is a big thing I see come up for athletes on things like workouts. Um, whenever people are like, oh, I got to like every work has to be faster than the last. You're like, I've got to get this Strava segment. The mentality of proving will oftentimes result in worse outcomes. Um, not to mention again, risk of injury, burnout, all the, you know, sort of goblins that we harp on about a lot here. Um, moving your focus to the idea of improving it offers a lot more flexibility, a lot more sustainability. And again, like that is what we are. There is no end goal here. You know, there right. is no second season of life. There is nowhere that we are going. There is no destination. All we have is the work we're doing. Mm -hmm. So in that process, our eighth principle Practice patience and non-judgment. I, I think hate, this is incredibly important. You hate it. I feel personally victimized <laughs> by the eighth principle. But think about how important that was in your process of moving from a place of proving to improving. Mm -hmm. um, as much as you don't want to admit it, probably, um, you know, when you feel like you have to prove, you're also judging yourself. And right. if you're in that place, it's very hard yeah. to do what you need to do to, like, have that transformative uh, experience for the audience on the stage doing what you do. True. It's so and, hard. And patience, I think, is a big thing for me and for a lot of athletes because patience is like a big should. I should be here, um, not where I actually am. And it's sort of like something that clouds us from seeing where we currently are because all we can see is sort of a misty vision of where we think we should be or where other people think we should be. And that's where poor decisions get made. And that's where people feel disconnected from the work they're doing. They feel burnt out. They feel like they lose their intention because they don't know where they actually are. And being patient necessarily means that you are, you are where your feet are, you know, right. you know where you are. And you know where you're going. And, you know, when I think a lot of patience and non-judgment, it's easier for athletes who have been doing this for, for longer because they've weathered more storms. They yeah. have gone through more difficult times and they understand that, you know, those challenges often become building blocks and they yeah. have that kind of improving growth or curiosity kind of all in the same circle in my mind there. They kind of have that shift happening all the time when things are difficult, but uh, an issue and a reason why we've really placed this particularly at number eight on this list is because, you know, when we're going through the easy days, keeping it easy, we're, you know, being purposeful in our workouts, when we're working on improving, when we're pushing ourselves and being on the edge uh, in the pursuit of excellence, our vision, and ultimately in alignment with our why, we get hurt, stuff happens. Uh, the process is not linear. And yeah. I've seen a lot of athletes make mistakes by through not being patient and being overly judgmental of themselves. I've been in those shoes yeah. many times myself and I've made decisions that weren't in the best uh, alignment with my vision, you know, that it, it created situations for, I'll speak for myself for a second where it's like, Oh, I should have just like taken more time off. Uh, now I have to take weeks off or mm -hmm. uh, I, sh you know, I should have just like not raced that race. Now I feel worse mentally. Now yeah. I had a bigger reckoning moment than I really wanted yeah. that was capable of having. Um, 
or was ready to have, you know, it's like, oh shit, I just totally did that to myself. Yeah. Um, and I could have just been, you know, I could have just loosened my grip, had a little bit of a bigger, not less narrow identity around certain parts of the, of this process and be patient. Like yeah. you will get to where you want to go. Um, but the key is to not judge yourself about where you are Correct. today in yeah. that process. Yes. Awareness is key. Judgment, not a key. Not a key? Not a key. That's not going to unlock the No one's door. ever like, oh my God, I'm just like so glad I judged my, like now that I'm judging myself, I can really get well, some Well, think good about how going. we mask judgment. We mask it with self-evaluation and we're super hard on the ourselves. Self-evaluation can't, like it's a vital tool to be able to assess and self-evaluate from a healthy and informed place from a place that promotes positive forward action. Right. Right. Like we're not just here to pat ourselves on the back and say, yas queen at the end of every day. Like that's the tough part, right? Like, as there is no snapple cap solution to like non-judgment. Great. Now you can win Western States. Like, no, there's a lot of really sticky gray zones here where you do have to look at information that trusted other people are giving you the information that you're giving yourself like this does not mean a get out of you know mental jail free card it means a much more complex and nuanced wading into the information you're getting so i like that because you just segued me into number nine Love feelings can be more informative than numbers talk yeah. to us about that so i think that there especially in runners is a tendency to think that numbers our truth <laughs> when numbers at best are also just, I mean, numbers are actually just an approximation for, for your body's understanding of stress, right? 10 miles like is not a real thing. Like in some ways it is right. But like, <laughs> right. it's, it's an, it's an approximation for how much stimulus your coach thinks your body needs to progress or to, you know, to, to positively move forward. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, because we assign things in numbers rather than just like vibes or like by emoji or whatever, um, runners can really latch onto numbers and start to incorrectly assume that they are the end all be all. Um, you know, this can be things like your watch is dumb, like recovery score, the VO2 max score, the Strava fitness trend thing, really any number is only ever going to be an approximation of information that you should always be checking in with your body to actually see how you feel. I know we all crave external sort of like, okay, well, I know I feel good, but like, I would love it if the numbers told me that as well. Um, unfortunately, those things are all going to be really, really flawed, right? Like how many people have had a great night's sleep, but as soon as they wake up and their phone or their watch says, eh, it wasn't the best night ever. Do you actually feel worse? And this is, this is, that's not me just like vibing. This is something that is studied. They actually, this is like diabolical. The researchers like fucked with people's watches to give them all negative sleep scores. And people who had otherwise good nights of sleep woke up, saw the fucked sleep score and were like, oh no, I had a bad night of sleep. When they actually had a good night of sleep, we have all gotten so bad at trusting ourselves and trusting data that is one should be one thing that we're paying attention to, but it is not the end all be all. Yeah. And again, if, if you're an athlete uh, struggling a little bit with this, or you've, you've seen this come in, come up in your, uh, your post run reflections on your, on your training, uh, pause and, and just rewind your feelings are more important than what the numbers say. Yeah. It's great when the numbers kind of like come into alignment with how you feel but that's not always going to happen. And I've yet to really 
see any kind of um, black box algorithms that actually are are really helpful to go off of yeah. for athletes. And trust your body. Your body is super smart. If your body feels tired, that's great information. Right. If it feels good, that's great information. If something feels harder than normal, that's great information. Um, learning to be more attentive to those feelings is an essential skill for advanced athletes. So another essential skill, number 10, stress is stress. Stress is stress. The body does not know the difference between a mile run and an argument with your partner. A you know, Arguments with whatever. me are much more like a 10K, if I may flatter myself. High stress. Yeah. <laughs> not a 5 You're going to need three days off. To be a true sure. max yeah, stress. <laughs> I am a 50K of an argument. You're going to be fucked. You're going to have doms from any encounter with me if I'm upset. Good thing I don't know how to argue. Yeah, it's true. It's really upsetting because I was a JV debate champ and... TJ just is a Zen Buddha. Zen uh, is a is a Buddha, little baby Buddha over here. Stress is stress, Zoe. Stress is stress. Yeah. Um. You know, we think that this is an important principle. Uh, just because we take a holistic approach to training, mm-hmm. you're not doing your training in a vacuum. Nobody mm-hmm. is. You know, even professional athletes at the highest level have other stresses that impact their training, and if you aren't aware of that and don't listen to Again, go back to number nine, listen to how you feel and respond to those things with your vision, the long term um, in mind, it can lead to challenging outcomes. You know, I don't think we need to to harp on this one too much, um, but a great dial that we have as athletes that we can tone down when stuff is getting stressful is the training stress knob. We mm-hmm. often can't change I know. I wish I could swoop into people's lives and be like, boom, childcare, boom, better husband, boom. Kids for that are four years older. Yeah. Like more flexibility at work or, you know, anything, any of those things. Your puppy is trained. Boom. Your boss doesn't suck. Again, Um, I just, I think that would really give us a market edge. Right. (laughs) My God, you'd have to be God to do that. But dude, God would be a sick coach. (laughs) Boom. Better husband. God would not give a lot of external validation. He would, he, she, whomever they, they would ask of us to do a lot of the work, which is ultimately in service of your vision. Sorry, I know God. you just want that <laughs> yeah. not to be turned down. <laughs> so what is, this leads us into our, our last, uh, our last principle, which is control the controllables. What which is exactly do? that, right? right? Like we sort of touched on it is that like, if you can't control, like training often is a controllable that we can control. A lot of times we can control the things that we eat, the things that the things that we consume, like whether it's media, social media, food, um, create the space that you need to succeed and try to edit out the things that do not help you succeed, both in a training and life context. And don't worry about the stuff that you can't control or try to worry less about it. I'm like a professional worrier. So not like saying do or don't is like not great for my gray area brain saying move towards a place where you fixate less on the fact that the world is spinning very fast and will one day be swallowed by the sun. Yeah. I, I can't th- control it. I think if you, if you struggle with this concept and I think it, it is something that's more advanced is why it's kind of at the top of the, of this pyramid. Think about uh, drawing a, a big circle on a piece of paper and then a small circle in the middle of it that kind of looks like a donut. And Ooh. 
in the middle of that circle, write down the things you can control. Uh, for athletes, I love athletes to start with a couple of key things. You can control your attitude, what mm -hmm. your attitude is every day when you show up. You can control your effort level, how much energy you're going to put into the training. You have direct control of that every day. You have control of um, your beliefs. You have control over your thoughts and you have control over your actions. There's like five or six things I think I listed out there that can go in the middle of that circle. And then fill that rest of that, the outer circle up with all of the crap you cannot control because it's everything else from what other people think of you to arguments with your spouse or financial stress or uh, tough situations at your job to, you know, like race day conditions, environmental factors that like the list of what we can't control is huge. But when we focus on what we can control, we can reclaim agency over what we can do in pursuit of our vision. And that's what's really powerful about that. I can decide how I'm going to show up every day. I have that power. Um, so think about that. I, I, I feel like that's a great thought to leave things on. Um, because when you're thinking about, well, how do I create my vision? How do I get to where I want to go? Like, not create the actual vision, but um, achieve my vision or some form of it, whatever, whatever it is. Well, it starts by recognizing that how I show up is under my control, the attitude I bring, the effort level I bring to this and saying, I'm committed to those things. Would a control donut be a cronut? Well, cronuts don't have a hole, right? They can, the ones in, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They can have a hole. They have a hole? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You're cronut of control. Cronuts of control. I love it. And hot or not, cronuts of control. Dude, I <laughs> would slay for a cronut right now. <laughs> All right, guys. That's, I'm going to give cronuts hot. You're going to give that a hot? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm into them. I had one a couple weeks ago. It was good. Ooh, we had a cronut without me. Yeah. You know how much I love a cronut. Shout out, bonfire. Or um, in, in the place in Telluride, they call them dosonks. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's cute. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you've got a question for a future call, if you're looking to support in your running journey or endurance journey, we've got the people for you. Reach out, microcosm-coaching.com, microcosmcoaching at gmail.com. Thanks. <laughs>